We are continuing and concluding our series on practicing simplicity this morning, uh, which honestly has been one of my favorite series uh, that we have ever done since we planted the church four years ago. Uh, It has been deeply impactful in my life, and I hope it has been in yours as well. Uh, It's sort of bittersweet uh, ending this chapter today. Uh, We'll do one last midweek podcast this Wednesday, and then next Sunday we will start a new series on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus leading up to Easter. Uh, But this morning is our last Sunday in our Simplicity series, and uh, someone came up to me several weeks ago after the teaching, and they said, is your last teaching in the series just going to be an announcement that we're all becoming Amish? Um, and, And I considered it. Uh, deeply. Um, but then I realized that only two or three of you would actually follow me that far. Um, and we would be a very small, very lonely Amish community together. Uh, so instead, we're going to continue where we left off uh, last Sunday. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, If you were with us last week, we unpacked some of the verses from the middle of chapter 6 in which Paul urges Timothy to operate in simplicity and contentment as a means of avoiding uh, the traps of uh, materialism and the accumulation of wealth uh, that, that Paul says plunge us into ruin and destruction. Uh, As we operate in biblical minimalism and let God do the deep heart work within us, uh, the uh, idols of materialism and accumulation and and greed begin to uh, topple in our lives. They are uprooted in the process. Uh, And that frees us up then to go and be joyful and generous people who operate with a carefree, unconcern for possessions. And so essentially last week, we were exploring the connection between biblical minimalism and being freed up at last to be joyful and generous. Uh, This week, I want to continue that strain of thought by looking deeper uh, at what it looks like to grow in generosity over time. Uh, We pick up in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, Here's what it says. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, a treasure for themselves, so that they may take hold uh, of the life that is truly life. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, just quiet our hearts, our minds, our souls before you this morning. Uh, We recognize that there are so many voices Uh, and so many misdirected desires uh, telling us where true life is, uh, where we can find life that is truly life. And yet, uh, in our more uh, sober moments, Lord, we recognize that you're the only place we can go to find that. You're the only one who has that on offer. Uh, And that's that's what we're hungry for, Lord. 
Would you show us uh, how to live in light of eternity, uh, how to live so that we might take hold of that eternal type of life right here and right now? Don't let us waste uh, the very numbered uh, days and years that we have here, Lord. Uh, Help us to wake up and grab a hold of that. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll start with this, a long quote Uh, from Richard Foster. He says, personal finance is the new forbidden subject for modern society. Once we were afraid to discuss sex in public, but no more. Now we flaunt our newfound freedom like an adolescent first learning to smoke. Then death was the subject no one dared discuss above a whisper. That day is gone too, Seminars on death and dying abound. We can buy tapes, films, and books on how to die gracefully. The great taboo today is personal finances. How we spend our money is our business, and nobody is going to tell us what to do with it. Vigorously, we resist any public airing of so private a subject. Sermons on lifestyle or our obligation to the poor are viewed as a personal affront or attack, a breach of private boundaries. We pull down the shades over our financial affairs. We balance our budgets and shuffle our credit cards behind closed doors. Today, there is a heretical teaching that is an absolute plague in American Christianity. It is the dogmatic and unexamined credo that whatever we gain is ours to do with as we please. If we earn $70,000, how we spend it is our private affair. Perhaps we will concede that it is legitimate for the church to talk about tithing, but the other 90% is none of its business. How utterly self-consumed and provincial. In no way can we twist scripture to justify such a belief. Our lifestyle is not our private affair. We dare not allow each person to do what is right in their own eyes. The gospel demands more of us. It is obligatory upon us to help one another hammer out the shape of Christian simplicity in the midst of modern affluence. We need to love each other enough to sense our mutual responsibility and accountability. We are our brother's and sister's keeper. And Paul takes this same attitude. Uh, The Bible pulls no punches when it comes to wealth and money. It never pretends that money and the way we relate to money and the way we spend money is a private affair. Uh, Scripture does not honor our cultural taboos. Instead, Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth. Which, right off the bat, begs several questions for us this morning. Uh, First, are we rich in this present life? And second, what are we putting our hope in? So first off, am I rich? Yes, you are rich. All right, that was easy. Um, Question number two. No, we can explore that for a moment. uh, And we probably should. 
Uh, most of us, myself included, would never label ourselves rich. Uh, if I had come in before worship this morning and just said, hey, before we start worshiping, just a quick show of hands, how many of you are rich? Like any rich people here this morning? Uh, my guess is that no one would have raised their hand. Uh, we don't see ourselves as sort of the rich Roman uh, upper class, the cultural elite whom Paul is addressing. Uh, within our own framework, we aren't upper class. Uh, we don't have servants. Uh, in fact, most of us finish the month uh, and we look at our bank account and say, is that really all that's left? Uh, most of us are not finishing the month saying, oh my gosh, Lord, look how much is left in my bank account. What should I do with all of this money? But in either case, it isn't until we place ourselves on the global scale that we really get a sense of where we fall. Uh, this picture represents the global wealth pyramid. And although it's hard to make out in the labels, uh, the top 1% of humanity owns 45% of the wealth on earth. Uh, that's almost half in the top 1%. Uh, when you spread that out a little wider to the top 20%, the top 20% of humanity owns 80% of the wealth on earth. Uh, most of us are among the crazy rich globally who have a car and a computer. We're at the top. Uh, we are in the top 20% that own 80% of the wealth. Uh, and if this, if this uh, pyramid or the numbers are confusing, you can visualize it with plates of food. You may have seen this done in, in one of your uh, college classes before. Uh, if all of the wealth was represented by five plates of food and there were only five human beings on earth, then one human being would own four plates of food and the other four human beings would be huddled around one plate of food. Uh, we are in that top 20%, uh, the one person who has four plates of food. And of those four plates, uh, Americans share an average of two to 3% of their income every year. Uh, that means on average, we keep 97% of our four plates to ourselves, uh, while the other four people on earth share one plate. Uh, prompting Richard Foster to ask, uh, are we willing uh, to live simply so that others can simply live? Uh, that's, that's the justice that flows out of simplicity. Or in Paul's words, he says, command the wealthy to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Uh, but Paul isn't writing about wealth just for the benefit of the poor. He's actually writing this passage for the benefit of the rich. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope or their trust in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Uh, be generous and willing to share, and in this way, we will lay up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that we may take hold of life 
that is truly life. So what Paul is saying is that first off, uh, we are rich, but more importantly, we aren't to trust our wealth for the very reason that it is uncertain in this life and you can't take it with you in the next. There's actually a better way to live right here and right now, and it will set you up for a greater experience of eternity, for a greater eternal reward. Uh, Your wealth in this life is uncertain. It is subject to inflation and recession and accidental house fires and thieves breaking in and stealing. It, It is a fleeting thing uh, that can fade fast. He said, don't, don't bank on that. That's not where your hope and your trust should be. Don't store up for, your, for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. It, it's too uncertain. Instead, we learn to trust our Heavenly Father and, and all that our Heavenly Father says about how we should operate in the here and now. Uh, the psalmist writes, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In other words, some trust in money, some in sports cars, some in big bank accounts, some in oversized homes, but we don't trust in that stuff. We trust in God and in His ability to provide for us. Uh, And and in fact, he invites us into this new way of life in which the more generous you are, the better off you'll be. There's this human tendency to say, I'm going to hoard for myself as a means of security as the things that I trust in. God says, no, there's a whole other way to live. Uh, Proverbs says it this way. It says, those who are stingy, uh, who hoard everything and then trust in what they're hoarding, never have enough. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly or unjustly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Jesus himself says it this way. He says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken and together and running over. That's just generous abundance will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And finally, 1 Corinthians, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. When it comes to wealth and money and riches, we don't trust in our riches. We don't trust in the numbers in our bank account. We actually learn uh, to trust in God and in His promises. Uh, To the Israelites, he says, uh, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. What is God saying to the Israelites under their system, the way they were called to give? He's saying, test me in this. Try this out just as an experiment, as a new way of life and see what happens. 
Uh, see if I don't come through as someone who is trustworthy. See if your storehouses don't overflow. Uh, see if the generous person doesn't gain even more. See if those who sow bountifully uh, won't reap bountifully. See if I don't pour out on you what you pour out on others. Test me in this. Or as one of my former pastors used to say, you can't outgive God. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? Do you believe that as you grow in generosity over your lifetime, that not only will you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, an eternal reward, but that you might encounter a life of radical abundance right here and right now? I would practice generosity purely for the eternal reward. If I can trade uh, fleeting paper money in the here and now for eternal reward that I will get to enjoy in the presence of Jesus, no questions asked, that's just the better way to live. That is more than enough justification. But what Paul and Jesus are saying is, it's actually better than that. It's not just that you're trading something right here and now for something that you will inherit in eternity. They're saying the eternal type of life actually starts right now. You, you can actually grab hold of, lay hold of, experience that type of life today. We get to shift our hope to God who richly provides everything for your enjoyment. He wants you to enjoy those things. We come to know Him and trust Him in deeper and deeper ways. Test Him in this and you'll come to know His nature and His provision in a fresh way. But if you never step out, if you never test Him in this, you'll never know. Right after I uh, graduated law school, years ago, uh, my student loan money was running out, and I got down to $200 in my bank account. And I was studying for the bar, so I still had to go the whole summer uh, and pass the bar before I could get back to work again and start earning a paycheck. Uh, and so I had my $200, and then my friend uh, came along, as he did with all of his friends, and he, he said, hey, I'm going on a mission trip. Would you pray about giving and, and helping me get there? I'm still short. It's a few weeks away. And so instead of just dismissing it out of hand, I, I took a moment and said, Lord, what do you think? And I uh, sensed the Lord say to me in that moment, give him $100. I was thinking, what? Like $100? That's like half my net worth. Like if I give him $100, I literally only have $100 left to my name. Like, are, are you sure about that, Lord? And I just had that phrase come to mind. You can't outgive God. Test me in this and see. And so I did. 
I gave my friend $100. And in the days that followed, checks started coming in the mail from all of the people that I usually pay. Comcast sent me a check because apparently over the last previous year, they'd been overcharging for internet. My landlord uh, gave me a big check that was for a deposit that I'd made three years earlier for a rented room and completely forgotten about, the full deposit back. Uh, the IRS sent me a check for some refunds that, that I guess I was due. Uh, the law school sent me a check. I can't even remember what it was for. But all of these people who I'd been paying over the last three years paid me. And in the course of a couple days, my bank account went from $100 to over $2,000. And then a few weeks later, I had to buy a car. And God opened up a miraculous door for me to buy a good car for $1,000. And so I spent $1,000 on a car and I still had $1,000 left and I was able to make it through that summer. And I made it through that summer and through the next year and into the next summer. And then one of my friends came to me and was complaining that he wanted to get out of debt. He didn't want a car payment anymore. So he was going to sell off his car and said, well, what are you going to do next? He's like, I, I don't know. I just have to get rid of this car. I can't keep making the payments. And I just sensed, again, that still small voice of the Lord in that moment, saying, give him your car. What? Lord, I, I, need, I need a car. Like, I need, I need a car to get around. What do you mean? Give him your car. And so I did. I gave him my car. Uh, and in the meantime, one of the neighbors in our apartment complex who we barely knew, who we'd barely interacted with, maybe three or four interactions we'd had with this guy, uh, he was in prayer and he sensed the Lord speak to him and say, sell your minivan to the decents. That's my last name, if you didn't know. <laughs> Otherwise, it won't make sense. Uh, and he said, all right, Lord, what do, you, what, what do you want me to sell it for? He said, and he sensed the Lord in that moment saying, sell it for $4,750, which was less than half of what it was worth at the time. Um, and, and so he came to us with that offer, uh, and, and we said yes to that offer, and, and we bought this minivan. What the neighbor didn't know is that that was almost the exact amount down to the dollar that we had saved up in our bank account for a family car. And, and so we purchased that, that minivan, and that was five years ago. We're still uh, driving that minivan today. Uh, and now we're in this place, though, that if the Lord were to ask us to, to give that away or, or to sell our house and go do, do some big thing, like whatever it was, like we would do that. Lord, you want us to sell our minivan off today? You want, it to, you want us to give it to somebody? Please, Lord, let it be today. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we're, we're very grateful. We're very grateful for our minivan. But, but he's brought us into this place. It started with small things. $100, like that's really, that's really not a lot in the grand scheme of things. But in that, we learn to trust him. And then we risk with bigger things. And then we risk with bigger things. We grow in generosity through our experience of God. It's through experience that we learn to trust him. 
And we can open up the pages of Scripture and see past experience. That's one way that we grow in our experience and our trust of God. But he wants you to know firsthand. He, he wants you as an individual person, as a couple, as a family, wherever you find yourself, to experience that together. That's how it works. That's how we grow in generosity over the course of our lifetime. We trust, and trust comes through experience. Generosity is an act of bravery. Uh, it, It is an act of courage. But as we step out in faith, in the small things, then our faith begins to grow. Then our knowledge of God begins to grow. Then our confidence in the Lord begins to expand. And over time, we stop putting our trust in riches, which are so uncertain, and we begin to put our trust in God, who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Without trust, we cannot grow. We cannot become joyful and generous givers. We cannot take hold of life that is truly life right here and right now. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm just reminded in this moment of your words on a childlike faith. And how children hold a special place in your kingdom, how even that the greatest among us can't enter the fullness of the kingdom unless we become like little children. And, and I wonder if this isn't one of the ways that, that we're supposed to grow in, into that childlikeness, to say, no, I, I have a heavenly Father whom I know and whom I trust. You think about children who have a loving mother and a loving father and they never have to question that. It's too rare in today's world. But for those that do, they they never sit around worrying if if stuff's going to run out or if all of a sudden mom and dad are going to turn their backs or or something like that. They they don't live in anxiety. They, they They don't hoard. They live in the freedom that comes, the security that comes. from from the promise of a heavenly father. Lord, you are better than any earthly father on the entire planet. Whatever comes to mind when we picture the best father on planet earth, you're better than that. you come now and speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak a better word about you, about your nature, about your promises. The sad irony is that most people if we were offered $100,000 in cash right now today or, or the promise of a heavenly father who will never leave us, who will never forsake us, 
most of us would assume the cash is the safer bet. God, would you, would you change that within us? Would you, would you show us which one is certain and which one is uncertain? Which one will take us straight through to eternal life? And, and which one will fail us? Spirit, would you come now? Would you wake us up? Would you, would you bring us into the freedom of the children of God? God, we don't have to wait for the resurrection to experience the eternal type of life. We want that right here. We want that right now. Come, touch, heal, challenge, transform. Work in our hearts now, we pray. We wait on you. In Jesus' name.